0: Hello, everybody. I'm Pam Pastor, host of the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins pod show. I'm thrilled that you found me. But more importantly, I'm thrilled that you found our Savior, Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus when we all come together. And as we journey together, we will unleash discoveries of how to turn a heart of stone into one of moldable clay for the potter to transform. So I hope that you'll consider joining me and others each week as we adventure and explore life together. And periodically, friends will delve into my mailbag and answer questions from listeners just like you. So if you have a question, make sure and email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. We're going to dig in today, everybody, and let's Concentrate on showing others grace and asking others, how may I bless you today? Instead of just saying, how may I pray for you today? So what I'm planning on doing today, we're going to take a chapter right out of my book, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. And we're going to explore what is grace and what is redemption look like. But before we do, I'd like everyone to gather. And if you could just pray this prayer with me. Uh, There's a, a sister in Christ and she needs collective collaborative prayer. So let's all just start by saying, Lord, thank you for the grace to approach your throne room with thanksgiving. We kneel before you so that we may stand Upon your promises. Our sister in Christ needs your healing touch now your grace and as we storm your courts with praise and adoration for you we're asking that you cover her with the shed blood of your son Jesus from her head to the very soles of her feet remove anything foreign in her body in Jesus' mighty name and Lord guard her heart and her mind and help her Lord to only see your goodness allow her to see you walking with her and holding her up Have her look towards your face and not just holding your hand. Let her see your healing graces. Lord, make her stronger day by day. Our sister in Christ is strong in the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I appreciate all of you joining together with me because Jesus says in the book of Matthew, where two or three are gathered in his name, he is right there in the midst of us, praying alongside of us, and those prayers do go to the Father. So thank you. So grace and redemption, well, each and every person is unique to God. This is why no two set of fingerprints are the same. He's blessed each person with at least one spiritual gifting. And it's our responsibility to unwrap what He will is and what His will is for our lives. And we do this by asking God how we can best serve Him Every day, and we honor that, we respect it, and then we show the Father daily reverence. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, it tells us that it is more blessed to give than to receive. So, what is the formula, if you will, for grace? Well, I've blessed you, therefore be good. By being good, we follow God's word and obey it to the best of our ability. So, then what was the law formula? If you will do good, I will bless you. Do you see the distinction there? You can plainly see the difference between grace and the law. Now, grace allows for mercy where the law did not. It was an absolute. The law utilized precepts, oral or written declarations of God's expectations of mankind and statutes which were to hew or cut in, engrave, inscribe, They were ordained, decreed, prescribed, or enacted. And then commandments, as we all know them as the Ten Commandments or the law. The many facets of grace include being thankful for the salvation we have been freely given through Christ, coupled with the experience of unmerited kindness as we rest in God's favor. And favors another way of saying grace. So, the accepted outpouring of gratitude toward God when blessed with divine grace assists us in our time of need. We can honor God by setting up our own personal altar to bless Him. Here, we can pray for God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit as we would our family, ourselves, our community, and our nation. And some items that we could adorn in the space might be pictures of Jesus, candles, cross, a chalice, or any other cherished sacred item. But these are not items to idolize. They're items to simply help us get into the preparation of grace and thankfulness and prayer so when we allow spirit to control our mind, we're filled with peace and life. So we can pray, Lord, I give it all to you. Or pray, Lord, give me grace to love everyone in my life, even the difficult ones. And we all have difficult ones in life, don't we? We've been saved to serve Never doubt your purpose in God's plan. The Old Testament records Moses meeting with God on Mount Sinai and receiving the Ten Commandments, otherwise known as the law. And you know, he had to do this two times because there was a point in time where Moses was angry at the people. He broke the tablets and God, in his grace and his mercy, Gave the tablets to Moses a second time exactly as they had been inscribed the first. So, friends, I do have to add in here that if you're struggling, as I do at times, with feeling like uh, I didn't measure up with and I'm getting more and more grace every day, it's normal. It's part of the human condition. So, don't be too hard on yourselves. Now, many Jewish people thought keeping the law was the way to obtain salvation. In truth, Christ's crucifixion is the substitutionary payment made by God providing grace through faith to all believers. Israel was already a redeemed community of people. In Genesis chapter 15, verse six, we learn, and he believed in the Lord and he had counted it to him for righteousness. And righteousness, of course, means the approval of God. And as God's people, we children of God, we are righteous because of what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross of Calvary. So that makes us approved by God. Noah was righteous because he believed, not because he built. Abraham was righteous, not because he would become a father to all nations, but because he believed. Salvation was not because of the law. It was because of belief. Moses led people to God by acting as a faithful servant and instructing God's law to the Hebrew people. The Pentateuch, or Torah, which are the first five books of Moses, includes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This was given expressly for the children of Israel. They lived in the land of Canaan where many beliefs and practices of the Canaanites were wrong, such as practicing idolatry and immorality. The Torah is positioned as instruction from God. Again, remember the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. This is similar to the wisdom literature, which we have mostly from King Solomon. This instruction acts as a roadmap for the journey, showing one how to have skill or wisdom for life. And the Lord planned for the Torah to be the principal means by which the people would remain in righteous relationship with him and with others. The Hebrew people distinguished themselves by eating specific foods versus that of the rest of the community in Canaan, who were not following any food guidelines or dietary restrictions. And the Hebrew people also observed the Sabbath by resting on the seventh day. This was an unusual practice in the ancient world and among the agrarian culture. And you know, the Sabbath is technically from sundown on Friday night into sundown on Saturday. That's technically the Sabbath. And then the first day of the week is going to be Sunday. Well, while this covenant of law between Israel and God blessed them, it also blessed other people too. People witnessed the good and were moved to faith. The worship the Canaanites practiced was wrong, and the Torah provided extensive information for the tabernacle construction, design, the system of the animal sacrifices, the feast and the festivals, which were many. And worship is not about the place where worship occurs. Worship is about worshiping God in both spirit and in truth. And God is spirit. And that's why in the beginning of my prayers, I like to say, that I'm approaching your throne room with thanksgiving and with praise, and I actually picture myself going into the throne room of God and being before him, kneeling. I don't know if that visual helps you with your prayers, but give it a try. So John chapter 4, verse 24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So the Samaritans read the Torah, thus they had God's word, but they were deficient in the full truth. By contrast, the Jewish people had the entire Old Testament truth, but were short-sighted regarding the Spirit's role in worship. Both Spirit and truth are needed to appropriate effective worship. And Jesus is this truth, and God is the Spirit. Together it creates beautiful worship, and beautiful worship is therefore fashioned. And Paul had many enemies after his conversion on the Damascus road. After all, he went from a chief Pharisee persecuting and killing Christians to one of the first evangelists for the spread of the Christian gospel. And if you think back to, if you know the story of Paul, he originates as Saul, the Pharisee. And, you know, that's one of those people that Jesus came in contact with. When Jesus came, he contacted, you know, immoral women all kinds of sinners that the Pharisees absolutely would have nothing to do with. Well, Saul was in that category of, this is a chief person murdering Christians. And here, that's exactly who Jesus came to save. And then he was converted to Paul, if you all know the story on the the road to Damascus. So, Paul had many enemies after his conversion on that Damascus road, and after all, he went from a chief Pharisee persecuting and killing Christians to one of the first evangelists for the spread of the Christian gospel, and that would be after Jesus got a hold of him. He pleaded with the Lord, though, three times for the thorn in his side to be removed, while Scholars believe this wasn't an actual thorn. They do believe it could have been many enemies that were facing him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, God told Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, For when I am weak, then I am strong, because he recognized no matter what his weaknesses or deficiencies were, He could call upon Jesus's strength and be strengthened in all areas of life. So God gives us so much grace for any trial we face, whether by our making or not. He's our strength and he's our refuge for any storm that we face. And Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 says, When we wait on the Lord, he tells us he shall renew our strength and we shall mount up with wings like eagles and run and not be weary and we shall walk and not faint. And in God's eyes, we're more than conquerors. We're all special. A friend of mine had a father who took each of his children aside, and he said, you are my favorite. And this greatly enhanced these kids' lives by giving them an edge and a boost of confidence, allowing them to face challenges that would come their way. I mean, at the time, they didn't know that the father had done this with each of them, but they all felt special in their own right. And much the same way, this is what our heavenly father does for us. He tells us we're his beloved children, his favorite, his masterpiece. We shouldn't worry or be anxious about anything when he has our back. He tells us not to worry about the one who can kill us on earth, but worry about the one who could send our soul to hell. I agree, pretty big difference. And in Psalm 23, Here's what Jesus says, the Lord, the shepherd, well, this is written by David, the Lord, the shepherd of his people, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It went like this. During World War I, an infantry unit squadron that recited Psalm 23 together each morning was victorious, while the surrounding units suffered losses. They did not. Quote Psalm 23. It is a powerful prayer of protection for God's people who will be willing to recite it and believe on Jesus as their shepherd. And Psalm 23 tells us God is invested in each of us. He actively seeks us our fellowship with him is a top priority. And when one out of a hundred of his sheep are lost, he will actively search out the one lost sheep. And when found, even the angels rejoice in victory. So men who live a victorious life learn to place a period at the end of God's word, not a question mark. He makes a statement. We are to have complete belief and a discussion. So the rod and staff here are dual symbolism. The rod means God's word and the staff is the Holy Spirit. So when we pray authentically and we live in the present moment, we lack nothing. He doesn't ask me to have abundance. He insists on it with green pastures, leading us beside still waters, resulting in inner peace and tranquility so we can hear God's still small voice when he whispers to us. When God says he restores my soul, divine vital energy flows into us, constantly regulating our physical, mental, and emotional activities. And that's why it's so important that in the book of Joshua, it says, meditate upon my word, do not let it depart from your lips, but meditate day and night. Grace is one of God's expressions of love for us. We do not need to fear evil when we're in the valley of the shadow of death. This dark ravine cannot intimidate us because we have God's spirit within us and we have God walking through it with us. So it's not a matter of we're never going to face the shadows of death or those those dark, deep valleys. No, we all face them at points in time. We're not always on the mountaintop. But when we do, if we'll just remember that we have the peace of God walking through the problem or situation, then we can face the world much more confidently. And the table which is present before our enemy may represent an illness, a fear of change, an attitude of lack, or even spiritual warfare, which we've talked a lot about. We should choose to remember a table sitting in front of us, overflowing with a cornucopia of joys and abundance of life. God fights our battles. An enemy must get through God first if he's ever going to touch us. Exodus chapter 14, verse 14 is my personal favorite life verse. It says, God fights for me and I shall keep my peace. "'You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over.' Oil was used in ancient times for a myriad of purposes. Kings were anointed with oil. Shepherds used it to keep ticks and pests off their sheep. Oil kept their ears clean. Oil is also used as symbolism for the Holy Spirit dwelling in one, causing our life to overflow with joy." And then where it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This ending of the prayer is about living in conscientiousness of the divine as opposed to being carnally minded, which is enemy to God. And when we are carnally minded, that means using our five senses, not getting into the spirit and communing with God in spirit. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack peace or provision, for he gives green pastures and still waters. I will not lack hope or encouragement. I will not lack guidance, for he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I shall not lack deliverance in tough times. I shall not lack protection." For his rod and staff comfort me in the presence of my enemies. I shall not lack endless blessings. I shall not lack eternal life in heaven, for I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And look at the sin committed or the darkness of heart. We're freely justified by his grace through our redemption in Christ, A short distance away from me is a mountain. It's called Black Mountain. As I look up to its apex, I'm reminded we all fall short of the glory of our righteous creator. Maybe some people are on the tip of the pinnacle, but not one of us can reach up and touch heaven. When we could use a healthy dose of grace, we need not look any further than the Lord. The Sea of Galilee is known to be tumultuous. When we are in the midst of a storm, It becomes our nature to forget we have an all-powerful God who controls our situation. We become focused on our problems and not the magnitude of our God. While our arms and bodies are flailing around, he patiently waits for us to call out to him. And during this time, we often become injured. Sometimes our injuries are lasting nudges to focus on God's grace and peace in our lives. But the residue left behind reminds us to share the Lord with others. We're blessed as we go forth blessing others as the only witness to Christ they may ever realize on and off the Sea of Galilee. And God allows for atonement by Jesus's blood covering man's sin for the express purpose of propitiating, appeasing his wrath or anger against sin. But why was atonement needed? Atonement was needed to balance the charge that all men are sinners. And the atonement's necessary because of the holiness of God. God requires his justice in which every sin is judged. And he had to turn his back away from Jesus as Jesus hung on the cross because God cannot bear to be in the presence of sin. And Christ is that substitutionary sacrifice for man's sin. All men were deemed sinners at birth. It's our sin nature the minute we were born because of the fall in the Garden of Eden. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul called himself the chief sinner among sinners who Christ Jesus came into the world to save. Paul spoke of election or choice in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. According as he hath chosen us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, having predestined us into adoption of children by Christ Jesus... So we are Jesus's inheritance. We're his adopted children, but we are his children. Jesus and God, they have no grandchildren. We're called to believe, repent, and be saved. This general call is an outward call to all men. And John the Baptist said to the religious leaders who came to his baptism, therefore bear fruits worthy for repentance. In other words, prove that you've repented by your good works. Man needs God to rescue him. According to God's word, man is in a desperate state. He's dead spiritually and in need of being converted. Paul said, "In you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins and were by nature the children of wrath we find in the Old Testament, man was spiritually dead and unable to commune with God because of his utter selfishness. Therefore, being deceived about his true condition, disobedience abounded and God's eternal anger was upon him. But belief in Jesus is an internal evidence of man's conversion. A man who has sinned may be pardoned from past sin, but this doesn't deal with the ongoing relationship with Christ. Justification deals with both, previous and future sin. Man is counted as righteous, though not that he is righteous because he believes in Christ. Redemption makes man a child of God. Adoption makes him a son of God and gives him the rights of sonship. The Bible is useless to you unless you put it into practice. So what is redemption? It's the deliverance from sin. And the book of Genesis records Moses working through the story of creation, sin, salvation, sanctification, and eternity with God. Can you imagine yourself in Jesus's sandals, knowing your best friends were going to forsake you at a time you really needed them, Being portrayed by the closest to us is a hurt that deeply wounds both the spirit and the physical of a person, and this helps to explain why the sensitivity in so many people is great. But how about predicting your own death, knowing you must suffer and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes? These people saw themselves in charge of the temple, and they controlled the Roman priesthood. They were afraid of Jesus and plotted how they could kill him. But Jesus knew he would be raised up by his father on the third day. Albeit this happened to the Apostle Paul at his first trial, people were so scared they abandoned him too. You know, loyalty is a trait which separates people, the wheat from the chaff. Loyalty is a lifestyle that we choose to follow. But Jesus told his followers to deny themselves, take up his cross daily to follow him. So whoever desired to save his life would lose it. But whoever loses their life for his sake will save it for eternity. So what did he mean, take up your cross daily? Well, Jesus was saying, put away your wants and your needs and focus on his word. And in the Roman days, criminals were headed to their executioner and they had to carry their own cross as part of their punishment to the location of their death. But believers of Christ must die to their own plan. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 44, it says, Let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. Jesus entered into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives on the back of a colt, which no one had ever set. And this is significant as it shows how he had dominion over God's animals, too. So when he drew close, he wept over Jerusalem, because Jerusalem means city of peace, and yet it had none. And as the people saw him entering, they spread their clothes and their palm fronds onto the roadway and began to rejoice and praise God loudly by saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They also said, Hosanna in the highest, and this means save us. These people recognized Jesus as their Messiah. This was a few days before Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But Satan entered Judas Iscariot, one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. And Judas goes away and confers with the chief priest regarding their plot to kill Jesus. Jesus. Satan is the only one to have said to had entered a man. And here it happened to be Judas's body. And again, when the Antichrist comes, he will do it again. So these are two examples of fully giving over control to Satan. And when we talk about the various types of soil, there's four types of soil. We're going to talk about sowing and reaping and harvesting, planting, harvesting, and whatnot. But there is one type of soil that, immediately Satan takes over. And that would be the very first one. And this is an example of that. And we'll get more into that later in the week. But Peter and John prepared the Passover meal for Jesus and the disciples, and they entered into a house with a guest room in the upper room. It was the ideal location for the Passover meal, and exactly as Jesus had foretold it to his disciples so we're gonna stop here, and we're gonna continue on uh, tomorrow with more about grace and redemption, and just how Jesus shows us this grace, and how He redeems us of sin, and just um, just how wonderful He is in His mercy and goodness to His followers, His believers. So I hope that um, that's been informative. That you've you've enjoyed today's pod show. And you know, oftentimes friends, I hear of people that want to have a more close relationship with Jesus. Maybe they've never invited Jesus into their heart. They know of him and they know that he's more than just a prophet who walked the earth. He's more than a priest. He's he's so much more. He's actually God's son. And you know, if that's you and you do want to experience an intimate, personal relationship with God's son, Jesus, and spend eternity in heaven, then I'm going to invite you right now to pray this prayer of salvation. Just say, God, I miss the mark. I'm turning away from my sins. Come into my heart. I believe in Jesus's shed blood for all who acknowledge he took on the sins of humanity at the cross of Calvary. Amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, I believe you were spiritually born again. Your next steps are to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you. And then consider joining a good Bible-based church where your faith in Jesus can continue to grow and be edified by like-minded people. And allow me to be the first to congratulate you on the most important decision that you will ever make in your lifetime. Congratulations and God bless you. You just made a kingdom minded decision for eternity. And, friends, the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week, a special children's podcast on Wednesdays when we're not in the middle of a series. So tune in along with your children for your favorite Bible stories you grew up with. We'll be discussing and sharing Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. We delve into many topics such as forgiveness, love in action, biblical wisdom, and what the word of God says about trust and many more topics. I hope that you'll come alongside me as we explore the Bible together. And if you like this podcast, Make sure to hit like and subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes as they become available. And why don't you be a blessing to someone else today by sharing this podcast link with them? Much of today's podcast was referenced from my book, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you found the content inspiring, you may want to consider reading it in its entirety, and you can easily pick up a copy from my website, com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or com. But if you're unable to afford a copy, write to me. I'll find a way to get a free copy into your hands. You won't be disappointed. It is full of God's word. So until next time, be blessed. And remember, you've been marked and sealed with the cross of Jesus Christ forever. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Until next time, friends, God bless.